Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy began to show us that a justified believer glories in tribulation. Today we'll continue to see what it means to glory in tribulation. All right, you need to turn your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to be reading from verse number 1 of Romans chapter 5, but then we'll come to our text in Romans chapter 3 to verse number 5. Romans chapter 5, let's read from verse number 1, and then we'll come to our text in verse uh, number 3, 4, and 5. Verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of glory. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations work of patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us look at verse number three again and not only so but we glory in tribulation also knowing that tribulation worketh patience so this is the theme of these verses where Paul is saying uh, about tribulation, how the believer responds to tribulation. Now, look, everybody knows, and Paul knew by experience, and Paul knew by the experience of other people, that every one of us are going to face some kind of tribulation at some point in time. As a matter of fact, I will tell you that your faith is suspect if you are the Christian faith and you haven't faced anything yet. Believe in me, it's very if everything is just going all well for you from the time you got saved, take it from me. You ain't saved. Mark it down, you ain't saved. You you got something, you you got something, you don't have what as long as you've come to faith, the battle now begins. You now left one army and gone into the other. So you're gonna face problems one after the other, as though you said, but wait a minute, I, I didn't expect this. Because you didn't understand what was going to happen. You were transformed to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the enemy, the darkness of the kingdom of light. And therefore there's this ongoing battle now. And you're encountering things that you'd never faced before. See, that doesn't mean that you're not. A, that shows that you are a Christian. It's just that the world thinks a little bit different. See, and they're singing the different song that the Bible sings. So the Apostle Paul is concerned for us to understand that one of the ways in which we can certify and uh, be guaranteed that we are authentic and real and we are part of the kingdom of God and that we have eternal security and that our standing before God is perfect, as Paul is saying, is how we respond to tribulations when they come in our lives. Now this topic of tribulation and trials in relation to believer is one, I think, of extreme importance. One cannot read the New Testament without being impressed with the amount of space and the amount of attention that is given to this subject in the New Testament itself. 
Uh, it is not a, 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 a subject that is mentioned periodically. It is a subject that is mentioned very frequently, this whole matter of tribulation. You remember our Lord himself addressed this problem when he was going away and he was going to be crucified and he was going to leave his disciples. He called them together and he began to instruct them in the book of John, the final chapters of John. And one of the things that he told them when he was about to leave them so that they don't have any misunderstanding about the Christian life, he said to them these words, In the world, you shall have tribulation. In other words, don't be deluded when I am away and then you begin to face this kind of issue. You throw up your hand in despair and say, but wait a minute, that's not what I bargained for. He said, listen, I want to tell you before I leave, in this present world, you are going to face tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So if I have overcome, I have the power to give you the power to overcome as well. But you will face tribulation. Expect it. It is going to come. He never deluded anybody. He always very honest up front telling them exactly what to expect. The problem with us is that we bring people into the Christian life. We never tell them what to expect. And all we tell them, you just need to pray and answer, ask the Lord into your heart and your problem will be solved. And who doesn't want the problem to be solved? So what did the body hand? Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. And then we tell them, let me show you the Bible says, if you should believe in your heart, you should be saved. So we start quoting scripture and they say, aha, uh-huh, I'm saved. And then they get the shock of their life that the problem is not solved. Problem's still there. We got to be upfront with people. And we got to be able to tell them the truth about the Christian faith and let them know that the Christian faith is about tribulation coming into your life. It's about warfare. See? It's not about a cruise. See? It's about warfare. See? Your cruise is coming, but it's not yet. See? I, I say this often for the pulpit, that the man of the world, he wants his spy. Let him enjoy his spy. He wants his spy now. Give it to him now. He ain't got none of them up there. So why begrudge him of what he wants his spy now? Tell him enjoy himself now. Live for the now. Because that's all you have. But we don't live for the now. We live for the after. See? And that's where we need to understand as Christianity. We are so at poles apart from the average person. That is why we need to have this whole prospect of, of tribulation. Uh, put in, in, in a perspective that we can grasp that it's going to come our way. Our Lord taught of it, but also the Apostle Paul. You remember that the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, he goes on three missionary journeys. And then he retraces his step and he goes to the churches he's already founded and he's confirming them in the faith. And you know what Paul tells them? Listen to his words in Acts 14, 22. He said to these young converts, these words, that through much tribulation, you must enter the kingdom of God. Now, you don't, we don't tell young believers those kind of words because we'll terrify them. They don't want to be saved. But Paul said, through much tribulation, you enter the kingdom of God. He's up front with them. He doesn't give them a candy message. He gives them something that's very sour and a bitter pill to swallow. That being a Christian means that you're going to face tribulation. You better prepare for it. But this is part of the kingdom of God. So not only Christ, but the Apostle Paul mentions this whole matter of tribulation. 
So he didn't want to surprise them. He's warning them that as Christians, the new Christians, they should now embrace uh, the fact that it, uh, tribulation is part of being a believer. So this is the very theme that Paul is now dealing with and putting a proposition in this passage. And in a very real sense, we need to understand that testing and tribulation is a good litmus test to prove how true we are to our faith and what do we have. I'm not going to ask if you have faith because I know everybody in here has got faith. Every single person in this building got faith. As a matter of fact, if there was an unsafe person in here, I would tell him he got faith as well. Every one of us got faith. You know how many of you got faith? You got money in the bank? Do you have money in the bank? As long as you have money in the bank, you got faith in those people in the bank. If you didn't believe that your money was secure, take it from you. You won't put one blind cent there. So you got faith. I know you got faith. You ever take a taxi yet and didn't know the driver? But yet, you still take the taxi. You got faith. You believe. But you, don't, you may have faith, but not saving faith. Two different things altogether. So that's why we need to be clarifying our mind that it's possible to have faith, but not have saving faith. It's possible to have faith, but not have justifying faith. And this is the whole argument that Paul is trying to point out in this passage. That if we have true justifying faith, these are the marks of true justifying faith. Not what the pastor told you or what the Sunday school teacher told you, but what the Bible says is the marks of true justifying faith. And this is why I think it's important for us as believers uh, to understand that this is a real test for us. Look, I am convinced that there are a lot of people who have had an uh, emotional, psychological experience. I have no doubt in my mind about that. And there are people who think that because they came to church one day, they had some kind of a weird experience, some kind of strange feelings that was not ordinary, that somehow they've connected with God. And they've convinced themselves that they are Christian because they've had some kind of a feeling experience. And they're depending upon that. But then after that, something goes wrong in their life. And by the way, these are the same people that get up and give you a testimony that by the time they finish the testimony, you wonder if you're saved yourself. I mean, they make it so glorious. <laughs> you wonder, but wait a minute, I didn't have an experience like that. So I now begin to ask, well, I really saved? But these are the same people a few months later, a few years after, what happened? Something happened in life and then they're gone. Presto, they're gone. You're still there, but they're gone. What's the difference? They had a psychological experience, an emotional experience, not the real thing. See? That's why we need some clarity on this matter. So I want to tonight uh, to say that how you respond to your testing, to your trials, to your tribulations, is a great, a great um, method, a, a shibboleth, a, a canon, a, a basis on which you can judge the authenticity of your uh, Christian faith, etc. By the way, uh, I might say that our Lord himself taught this in a parable. Did he not? The parable of the sowers. You remember that the sower went to sow and he sowed seed? And you remember on one occasion he said that some seed fell on stony ground? And you remember what he said about that, that, that seed that fell on stony ground? He, remember the seed is the word. The, the, the soils of the human heart, different types of human heart. You've got shallow hearts, you've got deep hearts, you've got good hearts. 
But you remember that he said that the seed fell in the ground. And he said immediately it sprung up. Unusual growth. It's not like the seed that takes time. He said, but because it fell on shallow ground, the roots, the, you know, it just sprung up. And with great joy, they embraced these things. But then he goes on to say that because there was no deep soil and the root could not get deep into, into the ground, our Lord said, endure for a while. And then he said these words. But when tribulation and persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by they're offended and they're gone. His point is that it's the tribulation and the persecution that these people face that proves that they weren't real, that they weren't authentic. They didn't, they didn't endure. When these things come now, remember immediately with joy, they seem to be doing so. And then when things begin to happen, by and by, like a story. Here they are a moment. Next moment they're gone. So our Lord himself is telling us that it is the tribulations, the persecution. It's, it's these kind of things that really is the acid test as to whether we are authentic and we are real. So surely we can see that trials and testings and tribulations are a great standard by which we can judge our professional faith in Christ and how the Christian should respond and react to these things indicates how real he is in his Christian faith. Now I want to begin to look at that and um, I want to, first of all, before I do that, I want to be very, very clear in our mind what Paul means here by tribulation. And the Greek word that he has in the word, klipsis. It's a word that has varying meanings. And it's used differently in the Bible. So there's several meanings. Number one, it means to be pressing down. Something is weighing heavy upon you. It's like a weight. Holding you down, pressing you down. I think we've all had those experiences. Yeah. And we've all had experiences where when this thing is lifted, it's like something just, a weight is lifted. But he's saying that this is what it means. Something presses you down. It also means something that oppresses you. It, it also means something that afflicts you. It also means something that distresses you. It also has the idea that you're in straits. In other words, you're, not, you're so boxed in, you can't go forward, you can't go backward, you can't go left, you can't go right. You are confined in straits. You just don't know what to do. That's the kind of thing that he's talking about here in this chapter. So it also means to be boxed in. It means to be being in a tight situation. Maybe financially, maybe in some other aspect, but that's the whole idea that this is, you're in a situation where you're in straits. You're just, you're just so contained that you, you just, just, just don't know what to do. How do you respond when you face those kind of situations? Paul says the way you respond is that you could glory as a Christian in these things. Now the question, of course, is how in the world can a Christian glory in these things? And this is where Paul is going to explain to you why we can glory in these kind of forms of tribulation, etc., etc. So the word has to do with affliction. It has to do with pressure. It has to do with stress. It has to do with difficulties. It has to do with persecution. It has to do with any kind of debilitating uh, experience that we have that seems to be affecting us in a negative way. The word can take many forms. But the key thing here is that they negatively impact how you feel and they discomfort you and cause you great distress. That's the thing. Whatever that is. 
is what Paul is dealing with here in this chapter. I was thinking, what are some of these things that uh, we can label under this category? L- let me just mention a few things, practical things, because sometimes we've got to connect with you to how, what this means in, in terms. You see the word tribulation. You see the word being oppressed. You see the word distressed. We see the word being in straits. But, but what does that mean in practical terms? Well, that's such thing as a loss of a job. Your family is dependent now on you and you, you, you're loss of a job. You, you, you just don't know what to do. You're boxed in. That's an example. What about a loss of a partner? You've lived with a person all your life and by the way, you realize that when one dies, the other one dies soon after. Do you ever realize that? It happened so soon. Look at George Bush. Uh, Bush 41, I think it is. His wife died a year before, and now he's gone to meet her. I don't know where they're going, but they went to meet each other. <laughs> but the point is, they were so connected, by the way, that the fact that, and it was not a surprise that most people said that they knew that once she had died, he would die early, as well, he would die soon after, because they were so connected. And it could be that you are left with a situation where you just don't know what to do. You're so dependent on your partner, so, and now they're gone. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, you've been a wise investor for a long time, but now the stock market changed and your assets gone into the red. And all that you've invested in the stock market is gone. So you have, you know, you, you come home, oh, you come home and tell your wife we lost everything. How do you come home and tell your wife you lost everything? That puts you in a type where you're under this oppression, this straight situation. This, this is a form of tribulation. It could really be persecution as well. This is what Paul is dealing with, dealing with any kind of form of calamity. So life writes the script. We don't write the script. Life writes the script. And we are just actors in this drama of life. And sometimes we, 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 life doesn't write the script where everything is easy going for us. In every drama, there is a plot. And there's an antagonist. And when life writes our drama, it makes sure that there's a plot. And there is an antagonist. And often that thing is called tribulation. That's what we're up against in life. We don't know what it will be because life writes it. Your situation might be different from my situation because your life writes a different story than my life writes a different story. But I can guarantee you one thing. There's a plot. And there's an antagonist. And in Paul's thinking, that great antagonist is called tribulation. That brings me to the second point. How then should the believer respond to tribute? Go back to the verse number three. Notice what he says. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation work of what? Patience. So the question is, how should the believer respond to tribulation? It is going to be part of your life at some point in time. You can't evade it. You can't avoid it. You can't escape it. It is coming your way. If it hasn't come your way today, it will come tomorrow or next week. But I guarantee you, as long as you're a believer, you will face some form of tribulation at some point in your life. The question is, how do we respond? The first thing I'd like to say is surely one of the proper ways for the believer to respond is that he should not grumble and complain. At least that's a minimum, don't you think? That he should not grumble and complain. It's desirable that when we do face 
tribulation and these trials and the tempting that at least we have a, a kind of a response where we respond more than the ordinary person. The ordinary man is going to respond by grumbling and complaining. You know that. No question about that. The slightest thing he grumbles and complains. But for the Christian, at least, that should not be the way we respond to tribulation with grumbling and complaining. Secondly, we should not respond to tribulation by merely putting up with it as though we are stoics. We have a stiff upper lip. Let it come. Whatever happens, let it come. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to put up with it. You know, that is a much nobler response than griping and complaining. But it's not the Christian response. Thirdly, the highest response is what Paul talks about here. He says the believer who understands his justification before God, who enjoys peace with God, who has access to the throne of grace, and who has the hope of glory. That believer, sir, should be able to rejoice with your inglorian. In glory. The word glory is the same word that we found in verse number two. Look at number two again. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And uh, we, we also found out that that word glory uh, in verse number, number two. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory. The word rejoice there is the same word that is used here. It really means that we exult in tribulations. It means that we, we boast in tribulation. It means that we rejoice in tribulation. Now, that puts Christianity at a different level than we are accustomed to. Because that's not how we respond. But Paul is saying, that's the way a justified believer should respond. So we feel condemned when we read a verse of scripture that, and we read it very fast because... It really bothers us that that's not a method that we've been dealing with it in such a way. That is why verses like this are bypassed and skipped over. It's not that we don't understand what it says. It's just that it makes us uncomfortable. So therefore, we, we read it very fast. We can even quote it. But we hardly ever practice it. The Apostle Paul is saying here to the believer that we... We, we boast in tribulation, we exult in tribulation, we can glory in tribulation. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Now I want you to notice that there's a key word here in this passage. Look at verse number 3. And not only so, but we glory, and notice the word, in tribulation. That, to my mind, is the key to understanding what Paul is saying in this passage. That we glory in tribulation, it's one of the most important words in the whole text. That small little preposition has so much weight. Now, we talk about boasting, we talk about rejoicing, we talk about exulting in tribulation. But what does it mean that we glory in it? What does that mean? The first thing I want to say is that the Apostle Paul is not saying that we glory in spite of tribulation. And that's how some people interpret that. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. By the way, it is so commendable that in spite of what is happening to us, we just say, you know, I, 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 I am enduring it, man. I'm enduring it, yeah. You know, so there's, there's some sense of accomplishments when we can say that we glory in spite of tribulation. Tribulation come, but we are, that's not what Paul is teaching, you know. 
that we are faced with tribulation, but it is upon us. But we are glor- you know, we are, we are rejoicing in it, in spite of the fact that it's coming our way. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying we rejoice in the fact that it, ha- it has come our way, not despite the fact it came our way. I'll explain to you a little bit more why Paul uses the word in tribulation. So the Apostle Paul is not saying in this passage that we glory in spite of tribulation. Secondly, the Apostle Paul is not saying that we glory in the midst of tribulation, though that is true in, when you look at this particular verse. What the Apostle Paul is saying here in this passage is that we glory in or because or account of tribulation. And that changed the whole complexion of what this passage really means. It's a very strange thing that Paul says, but we need to understand this language that Paul has. And what Paul is saying to the believer here very, very carefully is that when tribulation comes our way, we see it as sent to us. Therefore, we embrace it and we rejoice in itself coming our way. In other words, let me put it this way. And I don't want to sound as though I'm a masochistic, sadistic type of person. But Paul is saying, we feel glad that it has come our way. Now, how many Christians you know speak that kind of language? That's why I say to you, there's a level of Christianity that we have not yet attained. Paul said, not as though I've already attained, but you know, I pressed toward the mark. This is the level that we need to come to. This is the level of maturity we need to come to. We're way down here. And some of us have been way down here for over 40 years. We haven't gone any there. We respond the same way we responded when we first got saved. We haven't grown and matured in this whole matter. But Paul is saying, we rejoice that it is sent our way. We glory in the fact that it's not in spite of it. I don't want it, so in spite of it, I still don't mean No, Paul says, I, I, I grab it on and I rejoice because it's come our way. Different language altogether. In our thinking. Now by the way. This is not just Paul's teaching. I hope you know that. Uh, If you read the Bible. You will find that this is a university thought. Taught by many of the New Testament writers. This idea of rejoicing and tribulation. Let me use an example. You remember Matthew chapter 5. Which is called the Beatitudes. Remember our Lord is teaching what are the marks of the people in the kingdom of God. But you remember what he told him in Matthew chapter 5. Look there for just a moment. Matthew chapter 5 verse 10. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 10. Remember he said in verse number uh, 5, chapter 5. He said blessed the poor in spirit. Verse 3 for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We said amen to that. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We said, Amen to that. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after the right, for they shall be filled. We said, Thank God, that's true. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Exactly, Lord, you know it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We hesitate a little bit there. Verse 9, uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Yes, Lord, that's the way I am. I want peace. Blessed are they which what? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they which, uh, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Do what? Do what? Rejoice 
And you are exceedingly glad. He's saying the same thing Paul is saying. You gotta wait. When you read Paul's writings, understand that Paul is repeating the teachings of Christ. If you don't understand that, you'll never understand Paul's writings. So when you think that Paul is saying something novel and new, go back to the teachings of Christ and you see that he's extracted the principle and now he applies it to his teaching. Jesus said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Paul said the same thing, he used the same word, boast that these things have come your way. You remember in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, the New Testament church is just founded. Peter... It's gospel preaching um, chapter 2. You've got 5,000 people coming to the Lord. Then another 3,000. The church is bulging at the seam. It's growing and growing and growing. But then you remember the authority decide, listen, we've got to clamp down on this. If we let this thing continue, they'll fill Jerusalem with the whole doctrine. We'll have a Christian Jerusalem. We can't afford that. So you remember the authorities therefore took the disciples and they brought them in and they did something. They whipped them. And they warned them and said, listen, don't you, otherwise next time we'll have your head off. But you remember what the Bible says about these men in Acts chapter 5 verse 41? The Bible says when they left the room, listen to these words. And they departed from the presence of the council. Get this word, rejoicing. That they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name. Rejoicing. Same thing Paul is talking about. Same word rejoicing. They were made of a different fabric that we're made of. A different substance that we're made of. Their attitude was completely different. They found Christ and knew that this was the living Messiah. And to them, whatever, the only thing that mattered was Christ and Christ alone. So if they get persecuted, they rejoice that they, because of the Christ that they found. So that is why Christ not only taught it, but you have the disciples exemplifying it in Acts chapter 5. They faced with tribulation in the Bible. They went for the rejoice that they were counted worthy. See? They're glad it has come their way. I mentioned this morning another example of this. And I'm going to repeat it here again this, uh, this evening. Uh, this has to do with the Apostle Paul himself. In the book of uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And the same chapter I mentioned that Paul had this thorn in the flesh. And I mentioned this morning that Paul described it as a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now the word buffet there is the same word that a pugilist would use to to beat. beat. So Paul is saying whatever this thing is, it's like Satan. The enemy, Satan, is, is using this thing to just knock me out. He's just knocking me right, left, and he's just punching me all over. And you remember I told you this morning that the Apostle Paul prayed that it, God removed this. I, I, can't, I can't go on like this where I am boxed around and this, this, um, this message of Satan is just discomforting. I can't function this way. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And I mentioned this morning that the Apostle Paul stopped praying after three times, not because he had given up. But he had gotten the answer, and that's what stopped him to stop. As I said this morning, if he didn't get an answer the third time, he's going back a fourth time. And the fifth time, he said, but after the third time, the Lord gave him an answer. And Paul said, okay, that's enough for me. Now, after the Lord told him that, listen to Paul's words. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my... Same word. 
Most God therefore will I glory in my therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I glory in my infirmities. Same word. Is there any doubt in your mind that Paul was saved? Absolutely no doubt. No, why? Because when you come to pass it, this is, this is not the, how the ordinary man responds. This shows that this man had true justifying faith. His whole disposition and attitude towards these things was so abnormal. But that's the thing that Paul is stressing. He is dealing with justifying faith. And he's saying that we have peace with God, we have access to God, we glory in the future. But then Paul said, and also, we glory in tribulation. See? It gives you the capacity to embrace tribulation and see it as something beneficial for you. Not something against you, but something beneficial. Something that God is using in your life to shape you, to mold you as a believer. Let me just mention one other one very quickly. Um, I, I talked about Christ. We talked about uh, the disciples in Acts chapter 4. I talked about Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 12. Let me give you one example. Let me, let me bring in Peter here for just a moment. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 14, Peter says substantially the same thing. You know what he says? In that? He, said, he said, brother, and think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that's about to come towards you. It's nothing unusual, nothing not to be expected. He said, as though some strange thing happened to you. And then he says these words, but rejoice, I repeat, but, but boast, same word. Same, but glory in as much as ye are partakers of the sufferings of Christ. So Paul and Peter are the same, they sing the same song, the same chorus. They sing the same thing. When a believer is faced with these tribulations and trials, justifying faith allows the believer to rise above how the ordinary responds and says to himself, there is a reason for this, there's a purpose for this, so I'm going to embrace it. I'm just... I just want it. See? It's part of my maturing process. And therefore, Paul says, we can glory in it, we can rejoice in it, we can exult in it because it is something that God is using in our lives. I, I think the biggest problem we have, to be very honest with you, as Christians, uh, believers, is that I, I think oh, we live in a world where we are so uncertain about where we stand with God. Seriously. But if we can ever settle the question that we are his child and he is our father. And that everything that comes to us must pass through him first. When he, something passes through to him to us, we can rejoice in that because we know one thing, the father's allowed it. But the problem with us is that we're not too sure that he's the father. So when something passes through to us, we fret and we fume and we let everything... We never rejoice. We never ever glory in this thing. We never ever exalt in this thing because we don't know. We're not too sure he's the father and that it passes through him. You remember when uh, the enemy came to Job? I said, you think Job served you for nothing? <laughs> Let me tell you why Job served you. Job served you because look what you're giving Job. He's a rich man. He got all these Cadillacs called donkeys out there. 
He got all these assets with sheep and goats and oxen. This is a, in those days, this is where a man would value his assets. He, Job has everything. Why he won't serve you? But I'll tell you one thing, take away everything he got. I bet he cuts you to the face. God said, you really believe that? Let me prove you that's not true. So what does God do? Take away the Cadillacs, no donkeys. Take away the assets, all the animals that Job owned. Then he said, you know what? For, for good, look, look, take away his house too. House gone. But not only that, take away his children. Children gone. All he's left is a miserable wife. Miserable wife. And she says to, to, to Job, hey, you curse God. Just die. Let me have to live more. Job said, you foolish woman. You foolish woman. Should God give and should God not take as well? See. You see, Job knew. And Satan was correct. He said, did you not put a hedge around Job? God had a hedge. Nothing could touch Job until God removed the hedge. Okay, do your thing, man. Do your thing. But we don't see life like that. When things happen to us, it's an accident. Somebody has did it to us. We don't understand that God has tailor-made it for us. So when it comes our way, we ask ourselves, oh God, what are you trying to do here? See? I may not understand it, but I embrace this. I embrace this. See? That is what Paul is talking about. It's a different level of Christianity. See? It's not impossible to attain because Paul attained it. It's just that we are Lilliputians down here. And we need to exalt us to become giants. But we don't become spiritual giants except we go through tribulation. Because Paul will tell you that tribulation work about patience. Patience work about experience. Experience work about hope. And hope does what? Sheds abroad God's love in your heart. You can't have these things except tribulation. It's the beginning of a process. Now if we understood that tribulation was leading to patience and experience and hope and God's love being shed in our No, we would say, give it to me. Give it to me because I need patience. I need experience. I need hope. And I need to feel the love of God in my heart. See? Unfortunately, that's not how we see it. Now, I have... I'm going to stop here. And I am going to pick it back up and deal with it, uh, with the rationale behind Paul's argument. I want to show you his reasoning, why the believer can really rejoice and boast in these things. And it's a marvelous way. I, I sometimes read the Apostle Paul. And I, 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 I'm, I'm just astounded. By the, 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 the logic of what this man is saying. And everything ties back into God's purpose. God is doing something in your life. That's not how we see it man. But it's how we need to see it. And this is how God is bringing us to greater maturity. To show us that tribulation is part of your life. But... We can embrace it. We can rejoice in it because God is working out a purpose. What that purpose is, Paul will show you very clearly what he's going to do through tribulation in your life. So next chapter, next time, and we'll pick up from there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this evening. Thank you for those who have sat and listened. Trust that we whetted their appetite for going deeper with you in relation to these spiritual matters. How often we remain in the shallows. We never become swimmers by remaining in the shallows. We must get out into the deep. And thank you for the instruction that Paul is imparting to us in this chapter. How he's meticulously working these things out so that the believer can have a rational basis for his faith. And for his attitude towards what happens to him in life. What a great truth he's expounding in this chapter. Reminding us that tribulation will come. 
but reminding us further that we can have a different attitude towards tribulation than the ordinary man. Because we are not ordinary people, we have become justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And he enables us to take a completely different attitude towards these things when they come our way. Lord, progressively lead us into your truth. Progressively transform us so that we become more like him as we grow in our Christian faith. May we be able to look back on the end of this year and thank you for bringing us to a better understanding of what you want in our lives, how you're working in our lives, and what you're trying to perfect in our lives. May we be a people who can praise you and thank you, but a people also who can live out before the world the transforming work that you're doing in our lives that becomes so clear to others that they crave and desire what we have because what we have is so transformative. Work in our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us more about glorying in tribulation and what results God is trying to accomplish through the believer's tribulation. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.